You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Live Free Now show, the official podcast of livefree.academy where I bring you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Today, we have a wonderful program lined up for you today. We're going to be joined by some of the sponsors of the Exit and Build Land Summit, which is coming up May 13th through the 15th in person in Bastrop, Texas, or you could watch day one and two for free online at exitandbuildlandsummit.com, exitandbuildlandsummit.com. We have a very big community of activists and entrepreneurs and big thinkers and doers that are coming together to present this incredible event. And we're super excited uh, for you to be a part of it. Today, we're going to be joined by Kurt and Lucinda of Texas Ready Seeds. They are going to be having a vendor booth at the event. So if you want some non-GMO, non-hybrid heirloom seeds, you'll be able to check them out here in Bastrop, Texas. Again, it's May 13th to the 15th, exitandbuildlandsummit.com if you want to register. But without further ado, let's bring them on. How are y'all doing today? Thank you so much for joining us. We're very glad to be here with you guys. Absolutely. Excellent. Cool. Well, why don't we just start by maybe you could paint a picture for our audience of how you guys got started when it comes to seeds and why you think this is of critical importance in the crazy time. I mean, time has been crazy for a while, but they seem to be really crazy nowadays. And I think gardening and having some uh, seeds stashed away is super, super important. So yeah, introduce us to yourself and let us know how you got started. Well, we've been uh, in business now for right at 10 years. And uh, Lucinda, you wanna kind of fill them in on how that happened? Well, we were, uh, I was uh, in financial services at the time and I knew that uh, things were not going well. I was reading a lot of the papers from Europe and uh, getting better news than I was here in the States, big surprise. I could not see anything good on the horizon. Uh, Kurt was a very successful entrepreneur and I kept saying, hey, tough times are coming. We're gonna need to start preparing. And he just really didn't wanna, wanna uh, you know, get involved in, in anything new at the time. But we did finally decide that we were gonna sell dehydrated food. That all went really well. We contracted with Mountain House, or at least so we thought. But it turns out the government also contracted during that same time period, $1.3 billion later for them, meant we were never gonna get supplies for six, seven, eight months. You can't run a business like that. So I told Kurt, we're gonna have to back up just a little bit more. We're gonna have to get into the means of production, which meant seeds. So that's how we got started. I'd been growing since I was knee high to a grasshopper, um, but this was all kind of a new adventure for Kurt. So 10 years ago, we did that for ourselves, our own families, and then realized it was so difficult to put that seed bank together that I knew we, we needed to have, that there actually was a market niche that was underserved. Um, so that's how we got started. Awesome. So like a good entrepreneur, you saw a problem and you had a solution and you decided to take that solution to the marketplace. Um, tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that you were reading in the news or in the overseas news and how how is that kind of amplified today or where do we find ourselves compared to, because I've been learning about preparedness and stuff since, I don't know, 2002, 2003, and it was a big deal then, super important and crap's gonna hit the fan, but it always seems like the can just keeps getting kicked down the road. 
but in reality it's like the same prolonged slow gradual collapse that we're experiencing and now it's become more and more real so uh share some insights on how things are going today uh in the times we find ourselves in and why having seeds are important well i don't want to jump to any conclusions in terms of uh the political affiliation of your audience or where they're coming from uh but uh, we like we like freedom on this show all right well we like freedom too so all right we're all at home there liberty seed banks you know uh so uh so when we started this 10 years ago it was because we both saw you know some clouds on the horizon and uh and things went pretty well for the first eight years or so uh in fact they went very well but uh once trump got into office our business over time just basically collapsed and uh got to a point where i told lucinda you know i think it's time to just kind of put it on ice we're not going to shut it down but let's just uh let's just hold off for a period of time until demand picks back up because uh Nobody seemed to be interested in uh, self-sufficiency, at least uh, from the uh, the market share that we were targeting. Uh, but uh, things changed when the virus hit in uh, what was it? Big time March of 2020. Uh, we had just sold out of all of our seed banks. I had, I had liquidated them at 50% off, which was a very good deal. But uh, the that happened on February 29th, leap day. And then the next day, a bunch of orders came in, March 1st. It's like, wow. And then the following day, and the day after that, I called Lucinda. I said, what are we going to do? Do I just tell these people that we're, uh, we're just shut down now until things kind of pick up? Or uh, should we go out and, you know, contact our suppliers and, and buy the seat and fill these orders? And given the fact that we're both entrepreneurs, the answer is probably kind of obvious. We can't turn down a sale, right? Especially a whole pile of them. So we decided we'd go ahead and, and do that. And, uh, and Lucinda started making phone calls and nothing was available. I mean, in fact, there were there were seed companies out there that were not even picking up the phone because they, they had nothing to sell. And so we really scrambled. And, and it, would, it took us about six weeks to two months to really get in all the varieties that we need to fill the seed banks that you see behind us. Uh, but I am I am very pleased to say that, uh, that God provided everything that we needed, and we never turned down a single order. We we had back orders for you know a month and a half, but at least we were able to fill every order that came in, and we had a lot. And uh, since that time, uh, our business has uh, we've we've done more business. Heck, we did more business last month than we probably did in. Uh, several of the years that we were in business. It's just been really, really crazy. So um, so that will tell you, uh, you know, the marketplace tells you what's going on. Yeah, and people, people out there are very, uh, very concerned. That's right. And it used to be that uh, Lucinda would travel around the country doing shows and expos. You may have seen her at one of those uh, from coast to coast. But uh, of course, with the virus situation, all that shut down. And so we kind of refocus here locally and Lucinda and I have been doing workshops here in Montgomery, Texas, which is just about 45 minutes north of Houston, uh, on a monthly basis, sometimes two or three workshops a month, and they all fill up. Uh, we're doing uh, gardening, food preservation, food storage. Uh, she just did a class on chickenology. So, uh, so, so the market is, is very, very hot right now. And we've been connecting with a lot of the people in the freedom cells, um, no matter where we go right now. So that's that's been really good, John. 
your people are out there. They're very active. They ask intelligent questions. Um, it's really, really wonderful. Awesome. I always love to hear that. And uh, my ex-wife actually used to live in, um, oh, what's the name of the community? It's in, it's in Montgomery County. Conroe? Uh, what's that? Conroe, the Woodlands. Conroe, yeah, I was in Conroe. So uh, it's cool up there. A lot of really cool laid back, uh, independent, conservative folks. And there's a really strong Freedom Cell contingent in there. Big patriot community, too, of folks that were pushing back on all the COVID craziness. So you guys are in uh, in good in good company there in Montgomery County. And it's really cool to hear that y'all are teaching some of these really important skills. And I think there's a, a lot of the challenge that people face is they're only focused or conscious of this stuff when times get really tough. Like you're saying, I guess during the Trump administration, the economy was doing pretty well, or at least it had an illusion of doing well. So people kind of pulled back on their preparedness, but it's important to, to be prepared no matter what. And now people are really facing it and feeling it with the inflation and the supply chain problems. So um, tell us about these kits that you guys put together. It's not just buy a seed, it's buy a seed bank. What's that all about? And how, what goes into choosing what varieties will go into one of these packages? That's a great question. Now, all of our competition is focused on individual packets, and we want to distinguish ourselves, and we want to have a total solution to the food problem. And so if uh, someone just bought a few packages of beans, one tomato, and one watermelon, they're still candidates for jumping their neighbor's fence, whoever has the better garden, to uh, you know try to supply food for their family. We didn't want that. We wanted that family, uh, no matter what, in any season of uh, their growing cycle, to be able to provide well for their family. And not just uh, did we put seeds that were agriculturally appropriate, but we put in seeds that were high in production, easy to grow, and also highly nutritive. So we have a, it all balanced. We had nutritionists evaluate our kits, agronomists evaluate our kits. In fact, we took our kits to the, the number one seed saving lab in the in the world, which is up at Fort Collins, and had them evaluate the packaging and um, all the uh, things that we were telling our customers just to be sure that we were on the up and up and not over exaggerating um, any of the virtues that we saw in our kits. But they absolutely um, reinforced the fact that four to six years is the maximum life that one can expect store the, the kit at 40 degrees, like we've been telling everybody. And um, they also love the packaging because it's got that seal. The, the Army uh, uh, ammo cans have that a nice uh, seal that prevents moisture from getting in and moisture can be an enemy to um, seed longevity. So we covered a lot of bases just by having a wonderful sturdy uh, kit that a rat, rat or raccoon could not uh, you know, come in and destroy. So uh, that's, that's kind of how we, um, the, some of the parameters that we put in mind. Also, we wanted the, the seeds to be virtually workable in 48 contiguous states, because that really is, is a sweet spot for our market. Despite the fact some of our seeds are overseas, but our focus is on the 48 contiguous states. And any seeds that we have or that we've sold that are overseas, uh, are overseas through someone else's efforts. Shipping seeds overseas is a nightmare. Even, you know, if you were to ship one variety, maybe you could do that relatively easily. It would still be a big expense. But our, our banks contain over 70 varieties, and each one of those varieties would have 
a separate certificate that would have to be uh, that would have to go with it, and it's just uh, there's just not any way to really sell our seed banks overseas. It's two hundred dollars per seed breed. It would go into quarantine probably for six months. You have no idea what temperature it's being stored at. And thank you. That's that's according to the United Nations phytosanitary agriculture certificate. Um, well, that isn't a very workable or affordable deal. Um, so for a long time, we were we were selling into Canada. That uh, that went fairly well, but over the last year or so, it's just gotten to be crazy. A lot of that has to do with the whole COVID supply chain thing and, and holdups and customs and delivery and so forth. So we're not even selling there anymore. We just sell in the contiguous 48 states. That keeps us very busy. And uh, But all of the seeds that we do package inside these banks that are behind us will grow well in, in any of those areas. And we do not buy from China. Not we we stick we stay away from that. There are some big seed problems with Chinese seed, and we've ne thankfully never had to deal with that with our customers. Right on. Well, I, I it's hard to avoid China sometimes, but I'm I'm not a big fan of the Chinese Communist Party, and I think that's reason enough. But <laughs> here I am with my phone. It's probably half made, seventy five percent made in China. So. There's plenty of business to be done here in uh, in the great states. So tell me about why it's important to have non-GMO seeds, right? Genetically modified organisms. There's some people that say, you know, the science isn't out and there isn't any negative ramifications or we haven't had enough time go by to really experience any negative ramifications. Why do you think it's important and why do you guys really market that y'all's seeds are non-GMO? Big question. Jeffrey Smith, who runs the Institute for Responsible Technology, is really um, a scientist worthy of uh, investigating. He's written numerous papers and books, and he is the authority on GMO. And uh, so, whatever I'm, I'm going to, you know, share it briefly. Uh, you can, you know, go and research all that we have researched as well. And um, there are um, extra allergies that can be picked up. Um, there are uh, problems with, uh, uh, well, there's there's three main problems. When you grow a GMO seed, you have three outcomes, none of which are favorable to someone making preparations for a down economy. 50% of the seeds will become sterile, sterile like a mule. That's not good. 25% uh, are mutants. You plant a cucumber seed, but you get a gourd. That won't help your family too much. And then the uh, third outcome, which happens a lot with tomatoes, by the way, a tomato or something else is a volunteer in the garden and up pops 15 little sprouts from that one tomato that hit the dust the year before. But you never know where on that genetic chain it will be landing. And so whatever was on the um, packet of seeds that you purchased, that will not be what you're eating. So there's not the stability that I think uh, people that are prepping need to have. When um, it is an open pollinated seed, you've got your hybrids, of which a subset of that are GMO. All GMOs are hybrids, not all hybrids are GMO. The second type of seed is open pollinated. And that is a seed that is stabilized. And it's been stabilized over a number of generations, eight or more generations. And so what you plant on uh, that seed packet year two will be exactly um, what you enjoyed as a, as a watermelon in garden number one. Um, so we like that. Now heirlooms are even more stabilized than that. That's a subset of open pollinated. 
And those seeds have been stabilized for at least 25 years. That's the bare minimum. And some people use the benchmark of 50 plus years. So it's extremely stabilized. You're gonna get, if you can protect the genetics and we teach you how to do that, then you can have the very same seed that you started out with in garden number one. And that's what we have in our banks, only heirloom seeds. And then those are the most stable of the stable. And when we teach you how to properly save those seeds, um, you can be completely food independent. You don't have to buy seedlings, uh, plants, produce, or seeds again. So it's a great return on investment. And we want you really as one-time customers, and we thank you for you know sending us all the referrals. And, and uh, just to jump back to what Lucinda started out talking about, in case it wasn't clear, what she means is not that the GMO or that the hybrid won't grow something that would be beautiful and edible and all the rest of it. What she was saying is that you can't save the seed from the thing that you just grew to replant the following season and expect to, to get the same thing back. So our business is focused on uh, people who are seeking to be self-sufficient, going off grid, that sort of thing, not relying upon a grocery store or the hardware store for your seeds. And so if you want to be self-sufficient, heirloom seeds are the only way to accomplish that. And there's one other thing that uh, should be mentioned about our seeds, which uh, really sets us apart from anybody else out there that I'm aware of anyway. And that is that all of our seeds are USDA certified. And what that means is the, the, the suppliers uh, who provide us the seeds and the varieties that we put in our banks will take seeds from their crop each year and submit those to an independent agricultural laboratory. And that laboratory will examine the seed for wheat seeds and debris uh, and then actually germinate those seeds to see what the germination percentage might be. If it passes all those tests, if it meets the minimum USDA germination requirements for that particular variety, then they get a certificate. And with that certificate, they can turn around and actually get a lot more for their seed than they would if they did not have the certificate. So we spend a lot more for our seed uh, wholesale than, uh, than some people might spend retail uh, for lesser seed. But we want to be sure because we understand a lot of our, most of our customers are thinking maybe one of these days, this seed bank is gonna be providing the nutritional needs of my family out of the garden. We take that responsibility very seriously. So we uh, have always sought out the best seed, certified seed, fresh seed, and that's what comes in these cans. Right on. So the idea is you get uh, one of the packages that you guys sell, and then as long as you learn how to save those seeds properly and store the seeds properly, you could potentially have little seed factory for generations to come, yeah? So being able to properly save seed and to preserve the integrity of your heirloom breeds is the, is the, the chain that completes the cycle. You can grow your own food perfectly well and provide the nutritional needs of your family this season, but if you can't make it to the next season successfully with good quality seed that you've personally saved, then you know you've you've prepared for six months. We want people to be able to do this on an annual, cyclical basis, and uh, for that reason, we we uh, we sell this book. See, there are several seed saving books on the market. Several of them I would use as coloring books for my grandchildren. Uh, they're just not academically sound 
or there, there are too many flowers in there and so forth. I'm not interested in knowing how to save seed on flowers, but I am extremely interested in the 17 major categories of uh, things that we would grow in the garden. There are families that are generally done the same. For example, squash, watermelon, cucumber, they're all done the same. So if you can learn to save the squash, and there's beautiful pictures in here to show you how to do it, um, then you're gonna be so much the better. Um, for example, uh, Kurt uh, had me plant out a watermelon from our very smallest bank. There were 29 watermelon seeds, uh, 28 came up. That's 95% germination, that was pretty exciting. Uh, at the end of the year, we had 30 20 pound watermelons. I was chasing the UPS guy down the, down the street, please take this watermelon, whatever. But each of those watermelons produced 500 seeds. Now that meant that was quite a return on investment, 28 seeds down to you know uh, uh, around 20,000 plus seeds. Well, I didn't need 20,000 plus seeds, but what I did was I wanted to improve my watermelon growing. So I took the 13th watermelon, the 14th watermelon and the 19th watermelon because those were all the super sweet ones. I took 50 seeds from each of those and now my own personal seed stock was gonna have the characteristics of those sweeter watermelons. So we believe it's not a great idea to stick your seed bank uh, in your pantry and just ignore it. But now's the time to start practicing and getting your seeds adjusted to your personal um, ecosystem. Yeah, and uh, a lot of our customers will say, well, I'm putting your seeds on the shelf for when I really need them because I know this is the good stuff and I'm gonna be practicing on the, the lousy stuff. It's not a good idea. You want to get our seeds in the ground as soon as possible and practice on those because as these seeds continue to grow garden after garden, year after year in your backyard or on your property, uh, those seeds are becoming acclimated to the climate and the environment where you live. So you're growing over time a super variety for your backyard. So don't put that off. Go ahead and, and get those seeds in the ground now and, and start using those. Right on. I took some additional education and became a certified crop advisor, meaning I'm like a CPA in the agronomy world. So um, so if you have a, a agronomy question, I do not mind fielding that question. I prefer that you're my customer, but that's okay. We want everybody to succeed in uh, producing food in your backyard, whether you're living on a 20th, uh, a quarter acre subdivision lot and only have a 20th of an acre to produce. We know that a 20th of an acre that's in the sunshine six to eight hours a day should produce 4,400 pounds of food. And we actually have charts that show exactly how many seed trays you need to get uh, going in the spring in order to accomplish the goal of uh, all that. We have a very detailed agronomy chart that tells you plumb near everything you would need to know about uh, how to plant and succeed with that seed. Uh, for example, did you know that Swiss chard will mate with beets? So you got to do some precautions, not grow them at exactly the same time in the same you know area, and um, so that you can actually have a perpetual harvest of beets and Swiss chard. But they're in the same family, and so they can cross uh, pollinate each other and create hybrids, which you definitely don't want. So so seed saving is a pretty technical uh, situation, 
So we, so we kind of say, hey, do the gardening in three steps. Year one, put your garden infrastructure in. If you have to buy stuff at Bonnie's or Lowe's or Home Depot, we're okay with that. Keep your plants alive for 90 days. If you did that, that's an A on your report card. Year two, we want you to bump it up in, in uh, uh, skill set. So start everything from seeds. Use those seed trays. We believe in a 50-cell seed tray, five across, 10 deep. And that way, at, an, at just a glance, you can see what your germination rate is. Very easy. The third year, we want you to master that seed-saving skill set. And that way, you're not taking a drink out of a fire hose because there's a ton to learn in food production. But it, the way we've we've done our classes, we've taught you know some young people, and a, and a young person did go through the same type of class that we teach. And their very first year, they grew forty three hundred pounds of food. So we know the system works. We know it's easy, and uh, it can do the same for your family as well. Right on. There's a lot of people out there that have a seed bank in the closet, and they think when crap hits the fan, voila, they're going to be able to produce food for their family, but. It's actually quite challenging unless you're doing it consistently. I've gardened throughout my life and uh, I still never have taken corn from seed to fruit. That's one of the challenging ones for me at least. And uh, it's a lot of work. I found it easier to raise chickens uh, and have food and sustenance from the chickens, <clears throat> from the eggs and the meat than it was to go from seed uh, to flour. Uh, which can to fruit, which can which can be a challenge, but it's all about practicing. So I appreciate that bigger picture approach. Just get started, uh, get your hands dirty, uh, learn the basics before you expand on, because it really is a wide a wide world. Uh, somebody was asking who the author uh, is of the Seed to Seed book, and I do want to share for folks. Uh, you can buy the book at TexasReady.net. TexasReady.net. Who is that that wrote it? Suzanne. Ashworth, and she is the undisputed leader. She has got two master's degrees in agriculture. And uh, on our website, we're going to give you 20% off if you order through us. So uh, that would be wonderful. Right on. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Kurt and Lucinda of TexasReady.net. They are going to be having a vendor booth at the Exit and Build Land Summit, ExitandBuildLandSummit.com which is taking place May 13th through the 15th. It's all about helping people to move out of the cities to buy land and build community in the country. There's gonna be a lot of talk about getting off the grid, food production, preparedness, and being ready to weather the storm, but more importantly, thriving through it all. So what do you think are some good plants that folks can start with as, as beginners? I know tomatoes are always easy to grow. Okra is really easy to grow here in Texas. Some good old squash, it's kind of hard to screw up, but. What are some uh, some starter plants that you guys would think? Would I be think good you've, hit, you've hit on some really good ones: peppers, cucumbers, and then that makes a really good combination when you add your um, tomatoes. Uh, in terms of the winter, it's really not that difficult to grow carrots or beets. And um, you know, a, a lot of people are saying, "Well, you know, hydroponics sounds like a great plan. Let's marry it with fish uh, uh, culture, uh, fish growing." So now we have aquaculture. And I keep saying, well, you know, aquaponics, right? Um, I, I keep saying, yeah, but uh, they grow things that are above ground very well. Your leafy lettuces, your greens, your mustard, your kale, your, your broccoli, perhaps. But what they don't do is all the, the root storage stuff very well. And that's where you're going to get the high caloric um, intake. 
And of course, having calories in our diet is gonna be a major issue. Having a variety of, of uh, things to eat is gonna be a major issue because food fatigue is gonna be a problem. Um, but the US Army manual for uh, guys going to war uh, is uh, 3,500 to 6,500 calories per day. That's a lot more than you know people are eating right now. I get that. Um, but if we're eating leafy lettuce, et cetera, et cetera, we're only going to have 250 calories a day. That's not going to cut it. That's why we've got to get uh, where the carbohydrates are stored, and we've got to get those root crops. And uh, that's we've got to learn how to, to grow in the dirt. And one of the yeah. things, uh, John, that, uh, that we're really focused on because of the nature of our business and the, and the market that we serve, we're not really looking to provide seeds to your average back guard, backyard gardener who wants to grow a salsa garden. There are plenty of places you can go to get seeds for that. We don't even sell individual seeds. If you want to buy beets from us, we can't sell you beets. We sell the whole kit. This is a turnkey solution for people who really want to, to start in a big way providing for their nutritional needs out of the garden. So that's what we do. And, and, and because of that, we are also very, uh, uh, well, we, we promote a particular style of gardening called Mitlighter. And the reason for that is because we want people to be able to be successful from garden number one. Your traditional methods of gardening with compost and so forth, people have been doing that for thousands of years. It works. But it's not easy, and especially in, in a backyard situation where you don't have access to a lot of uh, uh, organic matter that's going to break down to the point where you're going to be able to fully fill, recharge your beds every season. So we have uh, discovered this method called Mitlighter a number of years ago. It is amazing. If you only follow the directions, you will be successful, your first garden, right out of the chute. And, and, and not only that, it is a sustainable system. And, and we can talk about that a little bit more momentarily. Uh, Lucena is going to show you what the, the book looks like. Again, this is available on our website. And this is the course that we teach. If you were to come down here for one of our workshops, you'd be learning how to garden using mit, the Mitlighter system. So, yes, we have a community garden where we bring in people uh, from the community, Conroe, Woodlands, uh, Montgomery County, uh, and... Uh, Twice a week, we allow them to spend three hours uh, being trained in how to be a productive gardener. And um, one of the things that Mitlighter, you know, has pioneered is a remineralization. I mean, the concept that our soil has been depleted and and uh, basically ruined over um, the last uh, 300 years is pretty well known. And so uh, we grow in a in Texas, especially it's very hot, and we like to have the soil, um, the, the, the substrate, we like to have a five degrees cooler um, than you know, the, the uh, compactable soils that are common uh, in Texas. And so sand and sawdust is our medium. Now everybody knows sand and sawdust provides zero nutrition. We understand that. Uh, but uh, you know, plants do not need to be grown in great dirt in order to produce good food. Hydroponics has proven that. And so all we're using the sand and sawdust to do is to hold that plant in place so it doesn't get wind uh, blown out of the, the garden. But we are gonna provide in a top dress manner, in a very calculated manner, um, all the nutrition that that plant needs. And so um, we have uh, uh, put together a package of um, uh, nutrition for the plant 
And this packet is all the trace elements that a family of four would need to produce 4,400 pounds of food on their quarter acre subdivision lot. This is what they'll need for one full year. It's $25. Um, so they don't have to drive around to Ace Hardware, Lowe's, Home Depot, and spend a lot of gas money trying to find molybdenum or trying to find copper sulfate or trying to find, uh, you know, all the different 17 trace elements. It would be very frustrating, too, by the way. And uh, when you start buying those kind of, I want a pound of this or a pound of that, they just may call Homeland Security and wonder what kind of bond <laughs> you're making. So we don't want you to have that kind of stress either. So we tried to package it in a very logical uh, format so that um, you could actually do some planning. Now, preppers do a lot of saving. I don't even want to call it hoarding, but I just, you know, saving in important materials, um, whether it's security items, whether it's canning jars, whether it's first aid supplies um, or so forth. But we uh, believe it that uh, you should stockpile your plant and nutrition. And the beautiful thing about this is that if you had a card table, visually, you can just say it's a square meter, uh, a cubic meter, and you could put all the uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, magnesium, and the other uh, elements that that plant requires. And then you could, in, you could put five years worth of plant nutrition for a family of four under a card table and no one's hopping to your friends to steal your minerals. That's just not going to happen. Um, so it is, it is completely doable to store up everything that your uh, family would need. So, you know, you just have to say in your mind, how many years am I going to be preparing for? And then you would buy the plant nutrition to go along with that. And the, uh, uh, the NPK and the magnesium sulfate, um, and so forth. I don't want to sell you anything that you can easily access at Lowe's or Home Depot in your local community. Um, there's no need for that. Um, but the trace elements, you're going to have um, a big problem finding that. And we also, again, if you buy five packages of this, we're going to give it a 20% a, a discount. So five packages are the same as uh, $100. Right on. Excellent. So uh, oh, go ahead. You got some, Kurt? Yeah, I do. Um, you asked earlier about what, what in the news uh, kind of is impacting our business right now. And uh, we, we mentioned how seeds have been and continue to be to this day in short supplies. Certainly a lot of particular varieties do. And uh, which is really why we don't advertise. I don't want to all of a sudden get a bunch of orders in that I can't fill. We, uh, our, our, our business is all organic. It all comes from word of mouth and through our web searches on our website. Um, and that way I know that I can maintain, uh, integrity in terms of filling orders, but, uh, but it's not just seeds. It's also the nutrition. I sent this message to Lucinda yesterday. I don't know if you can see this, but this is off of gateway pundit. Let's see here. What is going on? I'll read it. Union Pacific railroad begins restricting rail shipments of nitrogen based fertilizer during spring planting season. It's a very interesting article in terms of what's going on. Uh, it's something that Tucker Carlson was talking about on his show and uh, and and is right in line with some of the things that I was hearing back in November in terms of coming uh, shortages uh, for fertilizer and so forth. 
the nice thing about the, the mint lighter system is you can store up all of the nutrition that your plants are going to need for as many years as you want. You can do 10 years worth of nutrition. It never goes bad. You can will it to your great, great grandchildren. It's just mm -hmm. basically it's just ground up rocks. It's elements. No plant can use the manure that you toss on the ground in the form that it exists when you toss it on the ground. It's got to break down into its elemental form for the roots to be able to take it all up. We bypass that decomposition stage, which is what composting is all about, and we just give the plants exactly what they need, when they need it, in the proportion that they need it. And because of that, we grow a much higher density of food in a given uh, amount of space, or our, our yield per square foot is much higher than in a traditional system. And, uh, and also, we're growing vertically, so we grow up as much as possible instead of out, so we're able to plant our plants closer together. Again. Uh, increasing our uh, our productivity productivity per square foot, so that's why we have adopted this particular system. And it's the only system. And I taught uh, thirty nine other methods at uh, Lone Star College uh, gardening. So um, this is the only uh, method for which you could say if I do a certain behavior and invest this many dollars and this many minutes in terms of the work, I'm going to get a yield of a bushel at the end of the day. We know, for example, that on bush beans, you're gonna plant it three inches apart in a standard row, which we consider to be 30 feet long. You will need 240 plants and you will get 70 pounds. We know it's gonna take you about nine weeks to get that thing accomplished. So that makes that an ideal candidate um, for harvesting, uh, for, for, for canning, because it's only a three week harvest period. Pole beans, on the other hand, because they're going up, as Kurt mentioned, we can plant them closer. They're two inches apart. We plant 180 plants in a 30-foot row. We're going to get 180 pounds. Now, because it's a 16-week harvest period, then um, that would be suitable for that one serving of green beans per week with that family. But it's unsuitable for canning because you have to drag your heavy canning you know, uh, materials down um, and you only have a couple handfuls to play with. I don't like to do that. I like to work with bushels. So, so our uh, Mitlighter gardening chart has a lot of critical information that's going to be invaluable to help um, the person that wants to get serious about their food production and not waste time and money. Right on. You guys really have thought of it a lot and, and done uh, everything you can to make it easier on folks that are looking to, to get started. We have a couple questions here coming in from some of the live viewers. This one comes from Jack Curry on Facebook. What kind of seeds are self-germinating and perennial? I'm referring to strategies of spreading edible plants along walking routes. Based in Southern Ontario, Canada, coming to mind are Jerusalem artichokes. Is it better to plant roots and let them spread or to spread seed where able? Well, that is a uh, five questions in one right there. That's very good. <laughs> thinking. Um, perennials would be any kind of plant which um, year after year, uh, it is a root-driven uh, plant. Rhubarb comes to mind. Uh, Jerusalem artichokes is a great example. Jerusalem artichokes, however, do not work universally in the 48 contiguous states. So um, things like your, uh, your orchard, your berries, those kind of things are perennials. Um, so, so yeah, I'm all about planting perennials. Uh, those tend to be uh, tuber or orchard, neither of which go inside a uh, ammo can because they would rot. 
So we don't really start with that, although we certainly believe in growing, you know, other things. I teach and, how to grow orchard, for example. And berries are included in orchard. That's right. It's not just trees. That's right. Right on. Okay, so, we have another question here uh, from John Richardson. I have property in Phoenix, Arizona and Northern California. Do you have customers with successful grows in those areas? All of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The nice thing about the Midlighter system is it, it has been used all over the world, uh, literally from Africa, Japan, Russia, the guy who put this together, circled the world for many years, uh, establishing Midlighter systems and in places where you just weren't able to grow food because you're not relying on the native soil. You're, you're again, feeding your plants exactly what they need when they need it. So, uh, as long as you're able to shield from overbearing sun during the winter time, uh, during the summertime, as long as you uh, uh, have, you know, the means to start your tomatoes in the spring when it may be snowing outside so that you can put them in the garden after your uh, average state of last frost, that sort of thing, then you're going to be successful wherever you live. Uh, there are certain things dealing with humidity, dealing with uh, climactic things if you live real close to the ocean or altitude, those are things that need to be dealt with. Uh, and a lot of times your local agricultural extension agency in, your, in whatever county you live in uh, are really able to target those things and help you with that because they know what it's all about. But, uh, but following this system, you're generally gonna be successful wherever you live in 48. Uh, one thing about the, the previous uh, fellow who asked the question in terms of this guerrilla gardening idea, uh, it sounds great on paper, it's not necessarily it's not, it's not a a real survival uh, uh, situation because you're you're gonna need so much food and so many calories on a on an ongoing basis. What you've scattered around, uh, you have no way of protecting that from possums or raccoons or from pigs. Down here, we got a lot of pigs in Texas. They'll come along. They'll, you know, eat those uh, underground tubers, your potatoes, your sweet potatoes, whatever you may have planted before you're ever gonna see them. So, uh, you know, it's a neat idea. It's kind of a whiz bang thing, but not a serious survivalist technique. If, it, if it's a down economy and there are roping bands of interesting people on the highways and byways, I personally wanna be hunkered down. I wanna have a security perimeter and I wanna keep my own uh, garden safe. Uh, I would need to be, I think that we will be needing to guard our uh, gardens at some point. So um, that's why the, the, like Kurt was saying, the, you know, roving around trying to forage, um, even people that have PhDs in foraging are admitting that less than 1% of their food they estimate is going to be coming from foraging. Now, what you can do is gorilla garden in your front yard. There are a lot of plants that you can grow in your front yard that don't look edible. People don't know you're growing food. Mm -hmm. uh, Malabar spinach is a, a beautiful vine and it, and it functions just like spinach. You just pick the leaves and eat them. It's, it is a perennial. It comes back every year. It self-seeds. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess not really a perennial, but it self-seeds. So you don't even have to do anything. It just keeps popping up. Set it uh, and forget it. And, uh, you know, again, your, your potatoes and sweet potatoes and so forth, you can make a beautiful ground cover with that. Nobody realizes that there's all those calories under the ground. Yeah. We're, uh, so at the event, the Land Summit, we have some permaculture experts speaking. There's some folks that are really into food forests. 
And then we have uh, Marjorie Wildcraft. We've got some aquaponics mm -hmm. people. There's just a whole diverse range. And one thing that's important too, is like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. That's Although right. like you were saying, there are some that are more nutrient dense. They're better for a smaller space. They're better for that caloric intake, which is really important. And I think above all else, sometimes people get stuck in their head and they're like, what exactly should I do? What's the best thing for this? And I read this book that said that. And then I saw this interview that said this over here. And it's like, what's most important is to do something and to get out of your head and to get into the garden, I would say. Um, let's take a quick tour around your website because, uh, and again, you guys are going to be there vending at the Exit and Build Land Summit. So we're going to have around 500 people in person. Uh, can you tell us what you guys are going to be bringing? And then let's also take a look here at your website. Maybe you could break down, uh, help people determine what kit might be best for their purposes. So this is your website, texasready.net. And it looks like you have five different options of uh, Liberty Seed Banks. Right. So, so um, yeah, go ahead, break it down. Yeah, so these are the seed banks we'll be bringing to the uh, to the event, and each of our seed banks basically has the exact same seed. So there's over 70 varieties of seed in each bank, and those 70 varieties are varieties Lucinda has picked for specific reasons. And you will get a uh, a six page uh, uh, treatise on why those varieties are actually in there. It could be nutrition, it could be culinary, it could be any number of different reasons. So you're going to say, what the heck is this and why is, what is it doing in my bank? Well, there's a reason for that, and you'll, you'll find that out. But basically what the, what, uh, how the banks differ is the amount of seed that you get. So you're getting the same varieties, but it's a different amount. We start with our piggy bank, which is a small one right here. This is for two people. All right. So uh, when we say two people, we're talking two adult feeding units for one year. If you really know how to garden, if you've been doing this all your life, that'll feed a lot more than two people. But our typical customer has never planted a bean in their life. And so we know they're gonna make some mistakes. There's gonna be some uh, trial and error as time goes by. So we give enough uh, seed in each of these banks to allow for that. The next uh, bank up from the piggy bank is the four person lockbox. Then after that is the six person safe. Then we have the 12 person vault, which is this one back here. And this uh, big bad boy right here, this is the 30-person treasury. Wow. That's, uh, that's about 80 pounds. It, there is a lot in there. And so you'll be able to feed a lot, a lot of people with that. Um, for the intentional community. That's exactly. exactly right. And the larger banks will also come with free books. They will come with the uh, trace element nutrition uh, packets that we showed. And all of that is described in detail on the website. Right on. I want to shout out Rebecca at Red Flyer Media. She's watching along. She's going to be helping us with the live stream for the summit and uh, super excited to have her on board. And thank you so much for watching, yeah. Rebecca. Okay, great. All right. Well, do you guys have any parting words for the audience? If uh, maybe they're on the fence or they feel like gardening just isn't their thing, what, what would you say to them? And uh, let us know the website once again, if you would. If you are yourself not a gardener, then please team up with someone that is a good gardener because you're going to be pretty hungry if um, you be if, if it all comes to pass that we have to be our own food production machines. Now, let's suppose you you really had no intention of learning how to garden, but you wanted to be accepted onto another piece of property. Well, I'll tell you what, if you if you come knocking on my piece of property and you don't have a U-Haul of supplies or you don't come with great skills or a lot of money, uh, money is good now, but it's not going to be worth perhaps too much later. But if you come knocking in the day of need with your own giant seed bank, 
you are going to be the answer to many prayers of the people on that piece of property and they just might open that door and let you in so this is a good uh, item to um, increase your skill level and your um, uh, your barter ability. Yeah, it's worth its weight in gold. Everything shifts when crap hits the fan or, I mean, having money now, people that have a bunch of money just sitting around, it's losing its value. It's not really the best thing to do. It's important to take your money. It's great to make as much money as you possibly can, but then take that money and buy real world assets, more so than gold and Bitcoin, Buy stuff that'll help keep you going because everyone's values and priorities are really going to dramatically shift. I suspect. In the yeah, we, don't, we don't trade on fear. Uh, we don't. We don't even call these things survival seed banks. I don't think you'll find that term on our website because I don't really like. We, neither one of us like that. We're selling a lifestyle basically, and if things are great from this point forward, you're eating healthy out of your backyard. There are a whole lot of benefits that come to that from not just the, the intake of, of nutritional food, but with your kids and, and the learning opportunities yeah. and self-sufficient types of uh, lifestyle and attitude, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the sort of things that our country was founded upon. So, you know, uh, we don't, we don't want somebody to go out and buy a seed bank because they're scared of tomorrow. But we also recognize that that is, in fact, something that a lot of people, a lot of us are thinking about. We all see what's going on. It's not good, you know, and it doesn't look like it's getting better. Uh, so with that in mind, the, the shortages, whether they're supply chain or whatever, are real. I mean, that's, I, we are experiencing it all over the place in our business, not just seeds, but just materials. The little Mylar bags or labels or whatever it might be. Um, so right now you can buy seeds. So if you don't have them or if they're old and you need to replace them, I would encourage you to go ahead and get them now while you can. You know, if all of a sudden 10% of America wakes up, you're not going to be getting your seeds because there's not enough out there to, to even come close to meeting demand like that. You know, demand has been hard just for the small little percentage of people who are awake to these things. Once the general population catches on, if you don't already have it, you're probably not going to get it. And the other thing is the nutrition. Um, it does look like the fertilizer stuff is going to become more and more regulated and, and more and more difficult to acquire. Uh, we strongly would recommend that the wise man go out and just buy what he needs, put it in the garage. You don't need to climate control that stuff. It can go out in the back shed. You know, uh, Seeds need to be in the house where they're climate controlled or better yet, even in the, in the refrigerator, not the freezer, but the refrigerator uh, to preserve their lifespan or extend it. Uh, but the fertilizer you can put anywhere you want. So I would just close with that. You know, if, if this is a direction that you think you want to head, I would suggest go ahead and get it now while you can. Right on. Yeah. And one thing we talk about with the Freedom Cell Network is where a lot of people are organizing so as to protect themselves from tyranny. But that's one purpose, but it's a dual purpose. And more importantly, we're trying to create an alternative way to organize ourselves as humans that's more in alignment with our nature as free people and so just the same people are doing seeds and gardens as a preparedness kind of reactionary paradigm but at the end of the day that's how we ought to live anyway and it's not right. something new or weird it's a return to the agrarian lifestyle that helped to burn civilization healthier. and the community lifestyle oh my gosh yeah. yes 
and family, like you're saying, my son's way into gardening and, you know, we go out and we oh, just got the container neat. garden in the front. I had this big ambitious plan and we did the desolarization where we laid out this big giant tarp and we had this massive plot and we we're like, we're going to do this great ambitious garden. And then time went by, life happened. Then we determined because my son was digging a big hole and it turns out that the garden plot we were going to put is over the septic field. So, uh, so I listened to Jack Spierko. He's going to be speaking at the land summit. He's like, when it comes to permaculture, everyone has this big property. They want to do stuff over there and develop this. The place to start is to walk out your back porch. And the yeah. first step you take, that's where you start. So that's why I was like, screw it. Let's just get the container garden going on the front porch. And then right. we'll go from there. Right. I was going to let you guys go, but there's a couple questions that came in. So I want to honor the audience. Let's just do some quick answers for these questions. And we'll let you guys go in the next five minutes or so. Uh, Jack Curry, who asked the question earlier, says, can you give some more examples of inconspicuous self-seeders like the Malbar spinach you were talking about? Virtually all of these uh, seeds are self-seeders. They will uh, cast up flowers. The flowers will become pods. The pods will burst. And then the next year you're going to have lettuce or mustard or, um, you know, those kind of things. Um, there are biennial, meaning it takes two years for the seeds to develop. We have a whole list of those um, on this chart. Um, so things like beet and chard do take two years to develop their seeds. So that isn't going to, you know, be part of uh, your your favorite list. Asparagus is something that once you get that started, it takes a couple of years before you're harvesting from it. But after that point, it's going to last for 30 years or more. There's root crops too that don't really look like food that are pretty like a carrot just kind of looks like a weed sticking out of the ground right. okay cool and then uh damon clark's asking do you encourage people outside of texas to purchase one of your seed banks so yeah anywhere in the 48 contiguous states right. your guys's seeds are primed and like you're saying go ahead and start planting them and then as generations go by with these heirloom seeds the seeds and the plants themselves will begin to adapt to the climate and to the circumstances and the soil composition. Is that right? Yeah. You know, our business is called Texas Ready. Lucinda came up with that and I told her it was a ridiculous idea. And two weeks later, I came back and I said, you know what? It's this is growing on me. That is exactly what it needs to be. And people do come up and they say, but I don't live in Texas. You know, well, your seeds grow somewhere else. I said, it's not about where the seeds grow. I said, you don't want to be New Jersey ready, do you? <laughs> Texas is a brand. We got it. it. We understand. <laughs> that's right. So that's what that's all about. People think it's its own country. I mean, it once was its own country. It's not when people like you're overseas. I, don't know, I haven't been overseas in a while because all the COVID craziness. But when I used to travel and stuff and went to Europe uh, after high school, you know, people are like, where? So where are you from? And you're like, Connecticut or Wyoming. <laughs> like, oh, OK. But if you're like Texas, you're like, oh, Texas. Wow. Do you well, own a horse? That's usually what they say. <laughs> I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that Texas may be the only geographic, the, the only shape of a, uh, ge a geopolitical entity smaller than a nation where people anywhere in the world are going to recognize. That's right. Yeah. You know? Yep. It's a good place to be. A lot of really good people. Um, okay. One more question, and then we're going to let you go. Uh, this is coming from our audience on Odyssey. We're live streaming to Odyssey, uh, which is a cryptocurrency, a blockchain-based, sensor-proof social media platform. So we're excited for everyone that tunes in there. Uh, this is Lewis Philip Nine. I have a 10 by 15 fenced-in garden, 
and the groundhogs, chipmunks, and squirrels pre-harvest most of what I grow. Any suggestions? Well, on the squirrels, um, I would suggest getting a, a uh, pan of water that's small, put it about 30 feet away from your garden. Generally, squirrels are after uh, liquid, and so they'll eat a little bite out of 15 tomatoes. Pretty okay. annoying. Groundhogs and um, I don't chipmunks and all that. Um, I'm, I'm supposing that they're coming in um, underneath the bed, perhaps. Moles will do that. So you would need to use some hardware cloth. We would recommend a raised bed. You're going to need a pretty substantial fence. And um, I don't know, would a good dog keep uh, those buggers away? I don't know. What about uh, castor pinks? Like we, we had problems with moles. Mm -hmm. And if you drop a castor bean into their tunnel, they will eat that and, and that'll take care of them. I don't know if that would, if uh, if the groundhogs or uh, ground squirrels would eat those as well. That's a, kill them? What's that? They'll die? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And that's the bean from castor oil? Yeah, you can buy castor beans. The right actual on. bean that makes it. And, we have uh, holes on our property. They tear up the yard and um, we didn't plant carrots when we planted our garden beds in the back, but that's again why the, the container garden is just going to make life easy for us. But mm -hmm. there's all sorts of things. Last thing you want to do is deal with any poison, of course. I don't think our audience would want to mess with anything like that. I can okay. tell you from personal experience that if you get some uh, a hose and whenever you see one of those old buggers pop his head up, you just uh, run that hose down into the hole. He is going to come up gasping very shortly and then you can take him out. And you do that a few times 22. and you figure it out that, well, 22 or however, you, you know, your, uh, your weapon of preference. But, uh, yeah. Remind me of uh, Caddyshack, old Bill Murray. That's <laughs> 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 a classic. That was funny. Okay, great, great. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. Again, the website is texasready.net, and Lucinda and Kurt will be at the Exit and Build Land Summit with a vendor booth and a big old stash of seeds for you guys to, to pick some up. Thank you, y'all. Appreciate Thank it. You. Take care. All right, y'all take care. All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another edition of the Live Free Now podcast, the official podcast of LiveFree.academy. That is the company, along with the Central Texas Freedom Cell Network, that is presenting the Exit and Build Land Summit to the second iteration. It's taking place May 13th through the 15th. You can watch online completely for free. You'll get access to day one and day two. Or you can purchase a virtual immersion pass, watch day three, which will feature a special keynote from Joel Salatin, including immersive in-depth workshops that are all about putting everything we learned on day one and day two into practice and into action, coming up with a solid strategy just for you. Plus you get access to the replays online, digital downloads as well. That's the virtual immersion pass, or better yet, you can join us in person in the flesh, 500 freedom lovers all joining and congregating in Bastrop, Texas, before and after the event, and also in the evenings, we're gonna be visiting some local food production systems, some local farms and homesteads, really show you how possible it is to live free now. So again, you could register at exitandbuildlandsummit.com, exitandbuildlandsummit.com. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Until next time, peace and freedom, I'm out.